Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. This week we'll begin with verse 12 and go almost to verse 17. This is the Word of God, and it is eternally true. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart present this morning be acceptable. In your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we continue in the eighth chapter of Romans, this week moving on from the contrast that the Apostle Paul has been making between the flesh and the spirit. Now we're making the contrast, he's making the contrast, between the slave and the son. Last week and previous weeks, between the flesh and the spirit. This week, between the slave and the son. Verse 12 begins with the transitional phrase, so then. It might better be translated, now therefore. All right, a little bit more vigorous. It's a hard translation. It's an emphatic one applying what we had just read in verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, therefore, because of this, now then, because of this, now therefore, now therefore, brethren, well, brethren, why would I miss a chance? Okay? Brethren includes cistern. Brethren and cistern are both called brethren, all right? And it's extremely important in this passage of Scripture that we're going to read today that all of you who are women and all of you who are almost men who spend your lives being insulted that Christianity is such a patriarchal religion realize that there's no way you can get through this passage without allowing the male inclusive and without allowing the distinction between sons and daughters and fathers and mothers. Because it just flows through this text. If I were to take a text, other than maybe the first couple of chapters of Genesis, to be an absolute blunderbuss on our culture today, this is the text I would take. Because what it says to men and women is if you're a believer, you're a son of God. And that is presupposed on the basis that the son gets the inheritance. One of the things that I've been so concerned about in my life 
is that Christians, I, you know, what worldlings do, you know, there's no explaining worldlings. Every wind of doctrine, and they're off and running, you know. It used to be recycling, but I think that's fallen now, you know. And so now it's plastic straws. Or what did they do? Oh, yeah, 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 those little plastic bottles in the hotel rooms out in California. They just signed a bill saying that none of the hotels can use little plastic bottles for shampoo anymore. So apparently they'll all use glass, which for glass, if you own a glass factory, that's great, you know. You know. I am, though, concerned about Christians following the world. Christians allowing the world to determine what our standards are of practice, what our morals are. I'm very concerned about Christians allowing the world to change our patterns of speech. Because language leads us. It reflects us, it also leads us. You know, you have an argument among linguists as to what degree changing language keeps you from thinking a thought, you know, and some say that it does and some say it doesn't. Well, listen, in my lifetime, I've heard all of you stop using the word Father when you pray to God. And I know all the reasons we give. Well, my father was, you know, as one woman in our church would say, well, no, I won't repeat it. It's obscene. But that's what she says about her father. And she has reason for saying that. And so we stop praying to God as Father, you know, mighty God. Well, he is mighty, but can you feel the lack of intimacy there? Mighty husband. Yeah, it doesn't quite cut it, you know. Hey, sweetie pie, that's much better, right? And so here we have, now therefore, brethren, and the reason that the Apostle Paul writes that way is that God named the race of man, Adam. He named the race man. He didn't name it Adam, Eve. He didn't name it Eve. He named it Adam. And so all through Scripture, all through Scripture, you have this constant marking of the human race as man, as Adam, and as brethren. All right? Are you with me? There is a dignity to the male of the species that reflects something about God the Father Almighty that the female of the species doesn't reflect. And so the habits and patterns of language of the Hebrew in the Old Testament, of the Greek in the New Testament, of the English until a few decades ago, this pattern of language confessed a biblical truth. And so none of us ever say we don't pray to God as Father anymore. It's like, are you serious? And none of us refer to a mixed-sex group as brothers. Oh, I'm so out of touch, you know? I, how could I do that? It's so insensitive to women. No, what's really insensitive to them is to not call them brothers. Because then you're not confessing the wonderful truth that God has in his word for women, which is, you are sons of God, women. You're not daughter of God but you're sons of God. Now, why would you want to be a son of God? Well, we'll get into that. Now, therefore, brethren, we, all right, so it's the plural first person, we. Paul's saying I, Paul's saying us. We are under obligation. Do you feel the tension of this whole phrase? Now, therefore, brethren, you know, we're not really being cuddled 
you know, we're not having our cheeks stroked here. Now, therefore, brethren, we are, and under is not a nice word. You know, you like being under, I mean, you know, underwear, you know. We are under, and it's like, oh, please, Paul, can you just take a chill pill? And then this nasty word, obligation, it sounds German. Obligation. Obligation. Sounds like a German, doesn't it? You know? Now, therefore, brethren, we are under obligation. And so the Apostle Paul is is pushing us. Do you feel this? Now, therefore, brethren, we are under obligation. Uh, Okay, where are we headed, right? Not to the flesh, so a negative. Now, therefore, brethren, we are under obligation not. Listen, feel it. It's pushy. It's Jewish. Jewish is pushy. And it's the Apostle Paul who raised Jewishness to a certain level. He's pushy. The Apostle Paul is nothing if he isn't pushy. Okay? Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Well, we've been talking about this for some time. And so if it's not that, what is it? For if you are living to the flesh, he's not done yet. He's now telling you why not to live according to the flesh. He's already said it. He's going to say it again. This is pushiness from the Apostle Paul. He says, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. Okay? You want to, <laughs> you want to pimp your ride? Knock yourself out. Go ahead. Live according to the flesh. Have what you want. You will die. You know, there are many parents who choose to have few children so they can see only one or two of them die or live. I think an awful lot of Christians not having children is because they refuse to have faith for the faith of their children. We're a soft generation, very wealthy, and we don't want to have to worry about the souls of our children. You know, all the talk is a bunch of baloney. Well, in this world, would you want to bring children? Well, has there ever been a world we brought children into that wasn't desperately wicked? And so I look around this service, the earlier service, and I see the large families, you know, And I just think, okay, we have children in this church right now who are living according to the flesh. And if I said it to them in person, oh, they'd be so insulted that I had said that to them. But they scream it by the way they live, their attitude, the way they speak. We spent a lot of time in the elders meeting this week talking about this of our children. We had our youth pastor talk to our elders about their children by name. Okay? If your son or daughter lives by the flesh, and you know they live by the flesh because they're, they're, (laughs) 
I won't go into how you know it. If you don't know it, you're an idiot. And you can just see them, no faith, belligerent, soft, aggressive, disrespectful, and what you as a father and as a mother are obligated to tell them. And you say, no, no, I can't tell them anything because my own sin is so awful. I can't. I can't. It's like, dude, didn't you know that when you decided to have a wife and make love to her? Did you not know who you were then? (laughs) Of course you knew that you were a sinner. So now you have the child, it's God's blessing, and that child owes you saying to that child, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. I mean, come on. This is what our young men and women need. They need to be faced with their fleshliness. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, you should hear D. Wayne talking to me about our children of our church. Trust me. Oh, oh, I'm channeling Jerry Clower, you know. Oh, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But don't worry, that's not all I'm going to say, okay? But the Apostle Paul says that, so I figure it's good to double down on it because he'd been done septuagint down on it. You know, he said it about a hundred times now. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Okay? Doesn't matter who your mama is. Are you all with me? But, but, so here's the pivot, but, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, so if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die, but if by the Spirit, okay, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So these are the choices that you face. You can live according to the flesh and you will die. Now, is it just talking about like, you know, um, getting an STD? Well, it is talking about that. Anybody that said that AIDS wasn't God's judgment except on Ryan White and the hemophiliacs was just lying through their teeth. STDs are God's judgment. He has written them into the DNA of nature. If we have more than one partner, there is a risk of death, all right, and of suffering. But it's not just talking about the death of STDs and you know, you start a fire, you die by the fire, you know. It's not just talking about death in this life where we get sickness, we get fat, we have a heart attack, all this stuff. It's also talking about the death at the end of life where we actually do, all of us die, but then it's talking about eternal death. If you live by the flesh, all eternity, you will be separated from God. And how serious is that? Well, Remember that the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from above, falling down from the Father of heavenly lights. And so if you're separated from God, guess what? There's not one good gift and there's not one perfect gift. Because you are now eternally separated from God. And it's so awful that Jesus describes it as the worm that never dies and the fire that never goes out. 
So if you live according to the flesh, you will what? Say it, young men and women. Come on, lower yourself. You will what? You will die. Okay? But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So again, living is not just, well, you know, you'll have a longer lifespan. Or you'll be happier. You know, God loves you and has a happy plan for your life. Right? No. It's talking about living eternally. It's talking about the fact that you will, when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you will be ushered into the presence of the Lord, where there is eternal life and eternal joy. Now, those are the choices. Flesh die. Put the deeds of the flesh to death, the deeds of the body, live. Flesh die. Put flesh to death, live. And so what, what, we, what we tend to do is we tend to say, okay, I'm going to put the, the deeds of the flesh to death. I'm going to mortify them. I'm going to kill them. And so we proceed to try to kill them. And what we forget is that it actually says here, it's a parenthetical statement, but if, notice it, by the Spirit. So the only way that you, young men and women, can put the deeds of the flesh to death is by the Holy Spirit. That's why he's called holy, because he makes us holy. We don't just get to be born again by the Spirit, but we're born again and again, and again, all through life, we are made holy. We are sanctified by the work of the Spirit. Now, there are two errors here that we, that we make. One error is we say, and it's interesting that Calvin comments on this 500 years ago. You know, we say, well, if, if it needs to be the Holy Spirit, then I'm not going to do anything. Are you with me? And this is what is called quietism. This is what is uh, passive, and that has never been the response of God's power in our lives is to be quiet and passive and to say what is the most common way of saying this, let go and let God. Watchman Nee, although the Chinese are not here, but Watchman Nee is one of the major proponents of this. Uh, quietism, a, a piety that consists of simply sitting, standing, waiting for God. Now, there are people that need to be taught to wait on the Lord. There are people who their tendency is to never be quiet and wait on the Lord. And so those people do at times need to be told, let go and let God, right? I think of, uh, <laughs> I think of Al, you know, this is the image that comes into my mind, the, 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 uh, the falconer in our church who would train little baby hawks to, to, to catch rabbits for him. And, uh, you know, he'd have a leather thing and he'd have his hawk there. I went out hawking with him a couple times. My job was beating the bush and all of a sudden the rabbit would run and then the hawk would, boom, pow catch the rabbit. And one day Al came to church and he said, my hawk put its talon through my palm. You know? And I said, ah, what did you do? He said, I couldn't get it to let go. 
And he said, if I pull on it, because of the way the things are made, it would only tighten up, you know, it's hook. I said, well, what did you do? You know, and he said, I just punched him in the head. And, you know, Al was, Al was like a long-haired hippie freak pacifist. But when he wanted to be the one leading his relationship with that eagle, he punched it and said, let go and let me. Right? So there are some people who have to be told, stop, be quiet, wait on the Lord. But this is not the normal posture of mortification of sin. The normal way that we kill sin in our lives is through the power of the Holy Spirit, we take up our cross. Jesus says, if any man would follow me, let him deny himself. He doesn't say, let him sit back and wait for the work of sanctification of the Holy Spirit. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is why John Owen, in his book on the mortification of sin, on indwelling sin, he says that either we are killing sin or sin is killing us. Okay? There is no middle. There is no place where God will give you 20 years as a vacation. You know, it's a good concept to be told that when you go on vacation, you actually don't leave God behind. Okay? If you choose not to go to church, why are you doing that? Well, do you really need to have a vacation from God? For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This statement by the Apostle Paul shows us the path of the Christian's life, the path of every Christian's life. And it is not the path of get saved and then go to heaven. It is not the path of get saved and then get other people saved. It is the path of becoming Jesus' disciples, taking up our crosses and following him, just as he commanded us. And what is it to take up our cross and follow him but to resign ourselves, or rather in solidarity with our Lord and Master, to embrace death? But of course in us, it's not the death of Jesus' penal substitutionary atonement, but it is the death of mortification of sin. Sanctification is the putting to death of the deeds of the body, and it is empowered by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. If we do this, we will live. We will have eternal life. Now, the Apostle Paul at this point states the supreme good. Verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. All who are being led by the Spirit are sons of God. Now, women, how many of you want to be a son of God? And I know you're all going to say, yeah, 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 I want to be a son of God. 
But you know that song that Mary Lee and her sisters sang, right? Anything a boy can do, I can do better. Or something like that. Is that how it goes, love? Yep, she says yep. And really, that is the way women think. Think of how many daughters patronize their fathers. They look at their fathers the way every single cartoon and sitcom and book today tells them to look at their fathers. He's an idiot. He has no emotional intelligence. And when he declares that there's a principle at stake, his wife obstructs him at every point. And so he's what men refer to privately. He's whooped. He be whooped. (laughs) Right? And so here the Bible says what? The Bible says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. It doesn't say all who are being led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. It says they're all sons. Now, why does it say they're all sons? Well, it says they're all sons because the Son has the inheritance. This is the reason why I'm death on Christians giving the job of executor and the job of taking care of the family when the father of the family dies to the oldest sibling. Have you really not raised up a son who can be a son handling the inheritance for the good of his... You know, I was reading uh, last Monday, I was typically depressed on Mondays, you know. Right, Andy? You remember. And so I just decided to read about my... Uh, my uh, uh, what do you call it? Genealogy or my ancestors, you know. And it was really funny. I might have told you this before, but all of them were from Gettysburg, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And there was this dude that came over as a Scotch-Irish pastor. He'd been ordained over in Ireland, but he was Scottish. And when he got over here, he hung out with Cotton Mather, and Mather tried to get him a job at a church up in New England, but that failed. So he moved down to Lancaster, and he became a pastor down there. Well, Sometime during his pastorate, his wife came to church one Sunday, and he refused to serve her communion. (laughs) And do you know what that congregation did? That congregation said, why did you not serve her communion? And you know what he said to them? He said, that's my business, not yours. And so you know what happened to him? He got fired. That's all it took. And I've known that for a while, but then this last week I read deeper. And what I found out was that the fight between him and his wife was over their son and his family. Because the father wanted the son to live with them, And the wife didn't want the son to live with them, with his wife and his family. Well, this week, I had sort of known that. I found that out years after I found out the first thing. But this week, I then read the history of the son, and the dude was completely wacko. Everywhere he went, he blew up whatever church, whatever relationships. He was just a firebrand that just blew things up right and left. You know? Well, of course that pastor is not going to make his son. And then you read in genealogy and you find out what proportion of his wealth went to his 
son, and what percent went to his widow. And then, back then, fathers would, would say, when my widow dies, my beloved Mary Lee, then you are to take the portion of the inheritance. They were theological about things like this. You understand, they were biblical about things like this. The oldest son had the requirement of providing for his mother. I like that! I mean, think about me as a pastor saying such, a, such an obvious thing and saying, I like that. If you're being led by the Spirit, you're a son of God. Men, women together. And the good thing about being a son is you get the inheritance. You are not passed over for the inheritance. You get it. So do you want to be a son? Lower yourself. Say yes. Okay. But I mean mean it. And then live in such a way as having dignity as co-heirs with men. And stop complaining about being a woman, for heaven's sakes. But be a woman. Don't be a man. (laughs) You know? Right, Megan? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not... She's my hero. Right? In the first service, Judy was sitting right here, and Judy is our church secretary now that Katie has become a mother. If you know Judy, she is omnicompetent. Don't ever turn your back on Judy, because she'll have all the jobs done before you turn back again, and she'll have thought of a few for you. And then, so here, here at the height of womanhood across all the centuries, shows up Judy. She's omnicompetent, and her husband has died. And so when husbands die or when you get divorced and you're a single woman, there is a certain determination and, 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 and vigor to such women. I'm not going to name names here, but, but you know what I'm saying. Women who don't live with a man, uh, typically there's a certain, shall we say, aggression. I'm just talking about my mother. Okay, <laughs> I had to warn her when she went to move in with my brother. Now, Mom, you've been the head of your home, but you're going to go into David's house, and he will be the head of his home. So you best adjust yourself, because what you had forgotten, you're now going to have to learn again. And Judy comes into a church where sonship, and where the fatherhood of God is taught, and this is not a part of her world, and we watched her as she softened. Do you remember this? It was so obvious. At first she was, I, I want to almost say a little bit angry. And then, you know, I'd watch her as I preach, kind of like watching you, Joni. You haven't softened yet, but I have hope, you know. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> yeah. How many years has it been now? How many? How many? Twenty? 24, maybe, I think. And you watch this again and again and again with people who come into this church where we teach manhood and womanhood. And you will see men becoming 
men and women becoming women, right? And it's bound up with the statement that they are sons of God. Because in Christianity, you get given back your sexuality. You don't have to be guilty of it anymore. You don't have to let people look down on you if you're a mother and a woman. And you don't have to spend your life worrying about how you're going to avoid offending your husband or your wife if you're a husband. But we begin to be given back all those things that the world is constantly telling us. And we are all sons of God. That means all of us... Okay, now listen. For all who are being led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. Okay? For, and so now we're building on that statement, another statement, for... You, now notice he changes from saying we to you. Okay? For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. And so when he goes from we to you, he's intensifying it and pushing against each of us. You, yeah, what about me? You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Now we go into, again, remember what I said at the beginning, it's not flesh and spirit, but now it is what? Slave and son. You are no longer a slave, and therefore you are no longer in bondage to fear. Why is a slave afraid? Stephen, where are you? Okay, he's not here. So I have to try to figure out how to use my phone. Stephen set, sent me something right before I came here. Yeah, he says, he sent me John eight thirty five. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. Well, that's one reason that the slave is afraid. He knows that he, he's on a limited, a limited line. He knows he doesn't belong. But the son knows he belongs. And so Stephen writes, that helps us understand the nature of the slave's fear in Romans 8. His place is tentative and temporary, but the son's place is permanent. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received what? A spirit of... Well, certainly not adoption. Because adoption is, you know, there's... I mean, I don't like to talk about this publicly, but adoption, people that are adopted are, you know, right? I mean, people that are adopted... They're like kind of, kind of family, you know. I mean, let's be honest about this, but they're not really family. You know, I mean, you just look at them. It's obvious they didn't come from those parents. I mean, yeah, the parents are benevolent. You know, the parents put up with them for a few years, you know. But I mean, when it comes to an inheritance, no adoptee. I mean, he, he best understand that he's not going to get the inheritance, you know, because he's just adopted. 
And, and parents don't really love. I mean, you know, adoptive children don't really belong. I mean, again, you just look at them and it's obvious they didn't come from those parents. You have not received a spirit of slavery. They're the temporary ones leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything that is more precious to you than your adoption by God? Answer the question. There is nothing that is more precious to us than the adoption by by God. And it's only because we've been adopted by God that we can cry out, Abba, Father. So are adoptive children second class? Absolutely not. Adoptive children reflect more the, the economy, the kingdom of heaven, the natural children. Remember, the Jews, if you will, they're the natural children. And you and I as Gentiles are the adoptive children grafted in. All right? But where are the Jews today? They're not children. You think about an adoptive child who grows up with natural children in the same home. And you think about how many adopted children end up taking on the faith of their adoptive parents. And so they're adopted by God, they're adopted by the parents, whereas the natural children despise God and therefore cannot say, Abba, Father. Do you know who my grandchildren are? My grandchildren are those children who say, Abba, Father. And I don't care what relationship they have to me by adoption or by birth. I have no grandchildren who do not cry out by the Spirit of God, Abba, Father. And every one of my grandchildren who cries out, Abba, Father, belongs to me. Because I am adopted by God. Those of you who are natural children, don't you dare take that for granted. Because if your father is godly, he'll cut you off in a heartbeat if you don't honor his father in heaven. Are you with me? And any adopted child who honors God will be precious to us. Now, one last thing, and I'm going to be done. Don't you think that you can belong to God and refuse to be a son and refuse to pray, Abba, Father? Do you know that the only way that you can call out to God, Abba, Father, is if the Spirit of God gives you the ability to do it? Do you know how many people there are today in this country who 
because of their attitude. And capital A attitude. Refuse to pray to God as Father. They will not touch the language of fatherhood. And I say to them, live according to the flesh and you will die. And do you know that Calvin at a time where nobody objected to praying to God as Father back in his time, you know, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Jesus said, pray like this, our Father which art in heaven. Do you know that Calvin says in his comments on this text that people who don't pray to God as Father don't know God. They don't belong to God. Well, it's kind of obvious when you read the text, right? And when we go to the parallel text in Galatians, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God because why? Because we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, let me ask this. Why would, why would we cry out, Abba, Father? Why would we do that? And you say, well, because that's what he is. And I go, would you please think a little bit more deeply? You know, think like it's a video game and you have to anticipate what's coming. Why would anybody cry out to God, Abba, Father? Well, the reason we do that is because we're living according to the flesh and we see we hate to mortify our flesh. We hate to kill it. We don't want to be holy. We don't want to be dependent on God. But remember Edward's sermon title? God glorified by man's dependence. Are you willing to be dependent on God. And you say, well, yeah, but first I want to clean myself up a little bit. So I can have a little dignity when I crawl under the cross. <laughs> I mean, isn't that who we are? It's just relentless with us, you know. Yeah, I know you come by grace, but I've, I've you know, I've spent many years now uh, giving into the deeds of the flesh. And so I'm going to have to clean myself up a little bit before I say, Abba, Father. I say, well, what are you? Are you a son of God? Well, I haven't been living according to the Spirit, but I've been living according to the flesh. Are you a son of God? Well, you know, and I say, you know, you may not be a Christian. And you say, wait, wait, why do you say that? And I say, well, because you're not crying out to God, Abba, Father. You know, and you say, yeah, but it's double jeopardy. You know, if I don't live according to the Spirit, then I can't cry out, Abba, Father, and then you rebuke me for not crying out, Abba, Father, and so it's like, what am I, Pastor Bailey? I'm either in the flesh or in the Spirit. You just got done. I say, no, not me, the Apostle Paul. And this is how God deals with us. We're all in the hot pot. And we're all under pressure. And God is constantly saying to us, do not live according to the flesh, but live according to the Spirit. For all who are living according to the Spirit, they are sons of God. And their heart does what? It cries out, Abba, Father. Now, again, why does our heart cry out, Abba, Father? And you say, well, because we're Christians. And I say, okay, yeah. The Holy Spirit makes us able to cry out, Abba, Father, because we're Christians. Yes, that's true. 
but honestly, why do you cry out for your daddy? Right before church, I was talking to a man back in the office, and he was describing to me a beautiful uh, time he had with his son where both of them were dealing with a problem the son had, and the father was, they were doing everything they could to address this problem, you know? And then, finally, one day, they agreed that there was no way to address this problem. No matter how smart the dad was, and no matter how hard the son tried, there was no way to deal with it. And I thought, yeah, I remember that day with Joseph, where we spent an hour to two hours in the kitchen at the butcher block table. Me, Joseph, you have to, 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 you have to. Joseph, why haven't you? Why haven't you? Why haven't you? Why haven't you? Because that's what dads do, you know? And then all of a sudden, I had a little bit of self-knowledge pop into my brain. And I thought, if I was him, and I was listening to myself, I would despair. (laughs) You know? Because truth be told, I could never do what I'm telling him to do. You know? And all of a sudden, I stopped, and I started crying, and I said, Joseph, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I understand you. You are me. You've got all my genes. And the truth is, no matter how much I come up with, I have no idea how to help you. And there really is nothing you can do. Because you've tried. And so guess what? We get to pray. And I smiled, I had tears in my eyes, and I said, we get to pray. (laughs) You know, think of a dad and his son, and he's just like, boom, 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 boom. And he's a preacher, you know. And then finally he's like, oh, I remember. (laughs) And so the reason you cry out, Abba, Father, is, listen to me carefully, it's the only thing that will work. We just say, Abba, Father. And we don't say, Abba, Father, would you please help me with this and help me with that? And would you give me the self-discipline to do this? And would you please also change so-and-so's mind so that I won't have conflict with such and such? And, and by the way, would you please have mommy make spaghetti for dinner and buy that really good French bread? And we, you know, we don't go to God with this list of things that we have figured out are the way that he's going to solve our problems. What we do is we say, Abba, Father. And then the Spirit sees our dependence on God, and that pleases the Holy Spirit. And we wait. Because we're at the end of ourselves. Listen, you young men and women, there is no way to be a Christian There is no way. You cannot be a Christian. No one has ever been able to be a Christian. And it's not because you're particularly bad or stupid or ugly or thick-headed 
or have the wrong genes? No man has ever been able to be a Christian. But what we are able to do is to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And then we shut our mouths. And then, God is pleased, because now we're returned to our natural state, which is what? Dependent on him. And then he vindicates that dependence. And you could have never in a million years could you be able to anticipate the way he's going to vindicate you. You have no idea how God is going to rescue you from the latest mess that you're in. And the rest of your life is constant messes that you will cry out, Abba, Father. And And so there is no more sophisticated prayer than Abba, Father. It is not a stupid, bad prayer. It is the end prayer of every Christian, where your mouth is shut. You have no suggestions for God. You simply claim what? (laughs) Well, Every Christian, when he says that, he's claiming, I'm adopted. You, you did it. I can't help it. And so now you're stuck with me and it ain't going to go away. Isn't that what Abba Father is? You know, I ain't going to go anywhere. Abba Father, you know? And then God has to work. And you say, well, that's impious. Don't ever say what God has to do. And I say, God has taken an oath. And he will not be faithless. He is your father. And he will vindicate you. And so cry out to him, Abba, Father. Okay? And don't any of you who are adopted ever think for a second that you're second-class citizens with your father or with this church or with God. Because there is no higher position than being adopted as a full son of God. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have adopted us. Abba, Father. Help us, Father. Help us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.